Everything's going to be all right. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, December 16th, 2016. This will be our last show of 2016, and we've got a great show coming up. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. I'm coming to you from Studio D in Central City, Pennsylvania. At the controls back in Mount Pleasant is John. you got to have faith. And joining me from Studio C in McKee's Rocks is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Hey, Joe. Hey, John. Hello, everybody. Good day, Cliff. This week, we are we welcome Brian Baker back to the show and a friend of his and colleague, Joe Kokinda. We're going to talk a little bit about indoor air quality and HVAC, how they are inextricably linked, and we'll be right back with that show in a moment. Before that, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at their website, jondon.com. That's jondon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. And last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Prize by outcompeting fellow IEQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IEQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in the answer via your computer. I'm sorry to report. Aww. There was no correct answer to last week's IEQ Radio trivia question. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, December 16, 2016, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company, creating unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Now for today's IQ Radio Trivia Question. Since 1960, 60% of all economic growth in the United States can be attributed to what invention? Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. Today's guests are Brian Baker and Joe Kokinda. Brian is the owner of Custom Vac Limited of Winnipeg, Manitoba. He's been in the HVAC and IAQ industry for almost 40 years and is a huge education advocate. His list of training and certifications is extensive, as is his hands-on experience, and he's joined us before in what we call a man-in-the-field show. Um, he, uh, Brian has taught HVACR and related courses for the Refrigeration Services Engineer Society of Winnipeg Chapter, and in 2009, he opened the West Tech Energy Training Center, 
where he currently teaches fifth class power engineering. And also we've got Joe Kokinda. Joe is uh, owner of Professional HVAC and R Services out of Avon, Ohio. Mr. Kokinda has 41 years of involvement in marine, industrial, and commercial mechanical trades. He is licensed as a mechanical and or refrigeration contractor in numerous states. He started his mechanical career in 1975 with the U.S. Navy on the USS Independence. Since then, he's worked his way through various positions at numerous companies. In 2006, he opened professional HVACR services in Avon, Ohio. And we've got some music for our guests. Okay, let's see if we got Brian. Do we have you on the line? I'm here if you got me. Great to have you back, Brian. And Joe, do we have you? Pleasure to be involved. Yes, Gentlemen, great to have you. Sorry about the little, uh, we, we had a little mix-up here. I'm not sure what's going on with my website and talk shoe. But anyway, the key is we've got you. And, you know, over the past month and a half or so, Cliff and I have done a series of shows related to education in the disaster restoration industry, and uh, today we want to talk a little bit about education in, in the HVAC world, and I know you're, you're both involved in the HVAC world very heavily. With regards to HVAC and refrigeration systems, how is that training currently be de being delivered? Let's start with Brian up in Canada and then maybe talk to Joe here in the U.S. Yeah. Hey, thanks, uh, thanks, Joe. Uh, the, um, yeah, the, in, in, in Canada, there's quite a diversity, which is why it's good to have, uh, you know, Joe, uh, because of the uh, U.S.-Canadian uh, differences. And we're going to hopefully be able to point out some of those and, uh, also, uh, let's be clear, there is, uh, th there is no one um, uh, training model here that works in either country, okay? We're, uh, we're all struggling uh, uh, trying to make these changes, and I know we always look over the fence and the grass is always greener, but uh, it's, uh, you know, it really isn't. Um, the, the, the luxury, I think, that we have in Canada is we have our apprenticeship program. You just cannot uh, talk about training uh, in the skilled trades and not talk about apprenticeship um, because apprenticeship is such a, uh, a, a model uh, and has been for years. So just to give you um, uh, some numbers here, okay, apprenticeships in the mechanicals, there's approximately right now uh, 451,140 apprentices in Canada. And uh, there's 45,168 uh, programs uh, that they're in, and that includes uh, plumbers, pipe fitters, steam fitters, uh, and about 8,000 or a little over 8,000, almost 8,500 for sheet metal workers, there's programs, uh, and uh, also for refrigeration and air conditioning, about 8,300 uh, mechanics that are actually in training. And so in Canada, we primarily focus on apprenticeships. 
so that our um, skilled workers can be mobile and move anywhere across the country uh, without, uh, you know, uh, any special uh, regard to training, licensing, and all the rest. And that gives us a huge uh, uh, productivity uh, gain, if you will, or a strength that we can carry in the industry to be able to service systems no matter where they are. If they're in Newfoundland or whether they're in B.C., that same skilled worker is qualified. And, Brian, is that, you know, in the U.S. we've got a a mix. We've got some apprenticeship programs, but that's just with the unions. Is that nationwide and is licensing required nationwide in Canada so there is no, you know, here in the States we've got the, the union programs and then the non-union programs is it similar in canada or do you just have the regulated um apprenticeship programs no it doesn't matter whether you're union non-union you are an apprentice and that's it uh now if you're a a union member that's just one more thing you have but uh every single person is in fact a a uh, in in fact in refrigeration air conditioning should also point out not all the trades are compulsory so in the case of refrigeration and air conditioning we have a compulsory trade that means if you work in the trade in refrigeration and air conditioning then you must in fact be an indentured apprentice or a journeyman or you do not work in the trade now in addition uh, to that though um, let's be clear, um, there are other trades that are not like that. So automotive is also an apprenticeable trade, but anybody and everybody can work in that trade, but it doesn't matter if you still work in that trade and you want to be uh, licensed and qualified and make the kind of money that you want to make to be able to uh, work then you must, in fact, uh, be an apprentice. Otherwise, you're going to get paid minimum wage or something else, uh, and you are not going to be able to hang a shingle on your wall saying that you are, in fact, a certified, uh, licensed auto- automotive mechanic. Okay. Joe, let, let's turn it over to you, and, and maybe you could... I think most listeners are aware the United States is much less um, formal, at least in the non-union side of things. Um, First, am I accurate in saying that with respect to mechanical and HVAC refrigeration training? And secondly, can you give listeners a little overview of how it differs from Canada here in the United States? Yeah, sure, guys. Um, One of the uh, the items that Brian brought out is that you can travel anywhere up in Canada, okay, uh, with their program and get your red seal. Uh, you know, the system in the United States being states' rights and everyone being familiar with states' rights, uh, you can be very, very smart in Indiana and, and then drive across the border in Ohio and become stupid. <laughs> and that's the biggest problem that we have here, guys. It's, it's uh, especially, you know, uh, in the niche trades, uh, more and more what we're seeing, uh, I can speak about this, Brian can attest, uh, having to jump through hoops to qualify entity uh, in, in six different states right now. Uh, not only uh, is the paperwork ponderous and, and all the payroll and all the other stuff that we have to do when we cross state borders uh, to make our reports and permitting and, and all the classifications, the biggest problem that we're having, we are niche 
And being niche, we tend to want to <clears throat> train what our niche is. And the delivery system here in the United States for HVACR, IAQ, uh, fluid movements, uh, anything mechanical, is, is not being based on the science and the four laws of thermodynamics, and, and that's uh, IAQ, too. And I'm going to tell you right now that uh, the saying is here, don't get sick in the United States and go to the hospital because they're not going to cure you. You're going to breathe in the mold spores. Hmm. So the biggest problem we have right here, I believe, in the United States as is, is a, a man in the field like Brian, uh, is exactly the difference that you're saying there. Someone has to come up with a program, in my opinion, that means that if you're working on uh, uh, number two oil in Massachusetts, okay, you should be able to work on number two oil in, in Vermont, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, being that our climate zones are quite a bit different than what they have up there in Canada, my, my, my favorite place, Brian. Uh, it, it, it's a little bit different down here, and I understand the state's rights in one region, but it's, it's quite the conundrum, Joe, quite the conundrum. Cliff, let me. I don't have uh, text capabilities today, so jump in here wherever you want. Do uh, you want to jump in now? Yeah, th- thanks, Joe. Um, I-, I think one of the interesting things is, you know, today's uh, trivia question, which uh, uh, Doug Conan got uh, pretty quickly, was that, you know, in the United States, I guess since 1960, uh, 60% of all economic growth is attributed really to air conditioning because uh, it made it able for people to work year-round in the South, do factory work and, and live in apartments. And, you know, the same things happened in some of the growing parts of the United States now, you know, such as Las Vegas and, you know, Arizona, uh, you know, Florida, Texas, uh, so on and so forth. I just had one question for, for Brian in terms of a follow-up. Is there a minimum age requirement, Brian, for someone to get into uh, the apprentice program? And, and, I mean, can they do this instead of going to high school, for instance? Yeah, good, good, uh, yeah, good question. Uh, we actually uh, here, uh, uh, Cliff, I have to tell you, um, uh, Manitoba or Winnipeg more specifically to my city, uh, we have the only program in Canada that trains high school students, okay? And uh, I worked, uh, not, not, not me, I can't take credit for this, I wish I could, but uh, uh, decades and decades and decades ago we had a program and it was going to fail. Now I jumped in and I have to, I, I'll take credit for saving it, but I certainly didn't start it and we had a, a fantastic program where we took high school students and we made them into refrigeration technicians. Now that's back in, in, in past days when it was easy to fill classrooms, when we had governments who were backing, uh, STEM students or, uh, you, you know, the science, technology, engineering and math, uh, programs, which, uh, quite frankly, they have, uh, now picked up again, but they dropped. And uh, we got that program back up and running, so we actually do high school students, and we uh, we do probably about, uh, oh, I'm going to say there's probably 8 to 16 of them come out a year, and they, uh, if they're any good, they will graduate with a level one apprentice so they can start. Uh, but failing that, that's really uh, all there was. Now, they still have to finish grade 12. 
So we now have a grade 12 minimum requirement for them to uh, uh, get into the apprenticeship, but we have barriers. And uh, so, again, even though we have it, one of the barriers is we are not allowing uh, a lot of these young students to ride along in things. Instead, we're putting barriers in place, making it harder. At a time when we so desperately need skilled, uh, you know, help, uh, we're, we're doing just the opposite. And so, uh, like I say, the apprenticeship system is good, but we've got a long way to go, and we've got to stop doing stupid things. Um, and, and, and in addition to that, even in the U.S. now, we have NATE, uh, the North American Technical Excellence, and uh, these guys are off their rocker as far as I'm concerned because they're now coming up with this thing called uh, a, 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 a work certificate where we're now going to test individuals and then give them a, a work certificate as if somehow they're able to now go out and perform work. Well, I never heard anything so stupid in all my life. Like, you know, we have to get these individuals. We've got to get them out into the hands of contractors. We've got to get them trained. We've got to get them in classrooms. And we have to get them some exposure to the equipment. Instead of sitting them down and giving them a test, a test on what? What they know already? Like, it makes no sense. So um, we, we, we have to be careful what we do with high school students. We need proper programs like we had about 20, 30, 40 years ago where we actually train skills in the class and in the labs. But the problem comes in, it is expensive to do because we can't put 80 and 90 people into the programs. Joe, I wonder if uh, you see, as far as the U.S. goes, what about mentorship programs here in, in, the, in the United States? Are, are there any? I mean, I'm not aware of any, but, you know, I'm sure that's not my area of expertise. Well, uh, let me comment on that. And everyone, probably yourself, Cliff, everyone, uh, Brian, myself, the, the gentlemen that are listening, we all have passion for what we do. And whether it came naturally or it was forced upon us or spoon-fed, it had to happen with a mentor. The day and age of those mentors, I believe, gentlemen and, and audience, are, are waning. Uh, the problem with being mentored would mean exactly what the term is, okay? You, you should be with that person on a consistent basis and not just mentoring them like Brian wants in, in, in the trades, uh, but mentoring them in a physical and emotional uh, manner as, as, a, as a cognizant thinking human being, okay? Contractors nowadays, uh, I'm trying not to be guilty of a gentleman as we grow, uh, tend not to want to be on the floor, if you will, with the gents uh, or the ladies, uh, for those that are in our trade that are female. Uh, the object of mentorship is exactly that. And no, there are no programs. It's, it's individualized to the uh, culture of the business owner. And I think that successful businesses, if they mentor their people, uh, they will cut the uh, turnover quite, you know, quite a bit. That's, that's my feeling on the mentorship question, Joe. And, 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 and to follow up on that, Joe, the, the mentorships uh, actually flow through apprenticeships because apprenticeships say that individuals in an apprenticeship program 
must be under the direct supervision of a journey person. So that means that that apprentice must be with the journeyman, not a mile away, not five miles away, not available to talk on a two-way radio. They must be there hand-by-hand on the same job site so that they learn the skills. And, And the way apprenticeships work is the apprentice is to go to school and bring materials back that are current to help the journey person remain current. And also the skills that the journey person knows are to be uh, transferred to the apprentice whom which he is mentoring or she is mentoring on the job. And Joe talks about women. I have women in my classes, and we need more women in the classes. Uh, The power engineers, they do very well in attracting women. Uh, But the uh, uh, refrigeration and air conditioning uh, do not. Um, and, and, and then the other thing is, uh, Cliff made a comment about the air conditioning and, you know, the, uh, the, the increased productivity and stuff. You guys might be interested that 50% of Canadians have air conditioning at home. 50%. And 80% of Manitobans where I live have air conditioning. 80%. busy, Brian. 80%. Wow. Okay, hey, let me... and nineteen and and nineteen percent of households in Atlantic Canada have air conditioning. Hmm. So this is this is interesting because when we talk refrigeration and air conditioning, okay, one of the things the listeners should know is we uh, refrigeration. When we talk refrigeration, we talk process refrigeration. When we talk air conditioning, we talk the cleaning. The, uh, uh, air, you know, the, the air filtering, we talk about the humidification, the dehumidification, the, the air conditioning of air. And, and so, um, you know, uh, again, we have to be clear because a lot of people think that the trades, you know, are not doing anything. Well, in actual fact, we've been involved in indoor air quality. We've been green before green was even around, Okay. Uh, and one of the issues that uh, keeps uh, coming up is, you know, well, where, where, where are we going? What are we doing? Well, one of the problems is we are still not teaching what needs to be taught with regards to indoor air quality-related issues to the level we should. Uh, in, in, in essence, we're not teaching anything to deal with that human physiology, and as Joe was talking about, we are not talk- talking about anything to deal with the uh, movement of fluids through the systems, which is why, you know, Joe is as passionate as I am about changing the name, which we have struggled for for years, to try and come up with some kind of a different name for the trade that reflects what we honestly do every day. Because uh, what we do is far more than just deal with mechanical equipment uh, in the field. Now, let me, let's back up a step first. Now, in the States, and Joe, let me know if I'm off base here, the unions do seem to have this apprenticeship journeyman 
process working fairly well. I, my my nephew, for instance, is in the sheet metal contractors union. He he's pretty well trained on on installing ductwork and and you know air handling units, etc. Air indoor air quality. He hasn't learned much of anything, in in my opinion. Although you know that's something I guess we could debate. But the problem I see is. Um, it's tough for the guys that are using the union workers to compete price-wise with the people that aren't using the union workers and don't have this formal apprenticeship journeyman. How do we get that gap closed a little bit? Because, you know, it's tough for people to afford. I'd love to bring in union guys. I got a little construction company. I'd love to do that, but I'm competing with all non-union guys around here. If I went and paid union wages, I don't know that I'd get any jobs. <laughs> Yeah, we. Uh, I'm a union signer, uh, uh, but not a union contractor. So I pay into the book. Uh, proud member of uh, United Association 725 out of Miami. In case anyone down there is listening. <laughs> that, that, yeah, the the biggest thing that I see um, that the audience needs to understand, and, and exactly to your point, and Brian can attest, um, the ratios of journeyman to apprentices is not observed in my in 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 my in you know, in my observations. In other words, mm-hmm. you're supposed to have so many apprentices per journeyman. Most of the contracts have that laid out for you. Yet the contractors, in their infinite wisdom to make money, okay, uh, are going to have to fudge those figures. And so mm-hmm. what you have happened, usually in the States here, guys, is, you know, a level four, you know, some apprenticeship programs are eight years, you know, some are five, most are four. So a lead apprentice can handle most of the journeyman skills and and so they'll do that they'll pick and choose you know how they manage jobs that's a big problem mm-hmm. uh, for the unions and for the uh, general public because again a journeyman or a journey person i should say is exactly that and someone that's been well-rounded and vetted uh, through scars and and getting themselves hurt and understanding what works and what doesn't uh, as far as your question as to how we can close that gap here uh, the education system here, uh, we're not even going to get into the primary and secondary education system, who, which I have a problem of, and I'm trying to change on a small local level. Uh, the biggest thing is the tech schools. So the tech schools are you take modern air conditioning refrigeration textbook, or you take one from Goodhart, or you take Carter Stanfield's book, or Dr. Eugene Silverstein's book, and you sit there and you do a 16-week class, and then you don't get paid. Okay, your subsistence unless you graduate someone. So we're not really matching skill sets, uh, and I think Brian can attest to this, with what? Okay, in other words, you have a dogma, you got a course, you got a book, you got to pass it. These guys might not be interested in all the aspects of what we have to learn. They may want to be, like Brian says, a power engineer they, or an IAQ guy or someone that works in the building automation controls. So we're so niche here now in the United States and so specialized, uh, and that's what we've become, uh, very, very specialized. And so it lessens the amount of competition that we have, okay, and we do our own in-house training. Uh, That being said, we use all the electronic means, whether it be YouTube videos, our website, Dropbox, okay, on a biweekly basis. We do our safety training. All our guys are always gone. And so besides having the crew leaders and mentors, uh, we try to augment the training with uh, safety, safety, safety. Uh, that's the most misunderstood and the biggest problem that we have, uh, whether it be IAQ in hospitals uh, or pharmacies 
or clean rooms or, or okay, a supermarket with mold or humidity problems. Uh, the biggest problem we have right now is that the way that we're training our people to come into the trade leaves some slim pickings, gentlemen. I'm tired of looking at some crooked wood looking for straight boards. Hmm. Well, we've got – I'll tell you what, let's get one more no, comment in, then we'll go to halftime. Brian? Yeah, okay. Go ahead, Brian. Did you have a comment before we go to halftime? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, the um, uh, when you, when you when you're talking here now, you're uh, looking for the difference in price. And when you start talking price, we're talking a you know a whole other you know aspect of this because you you now are raising price and bringing price into the conversation, which is you know that's another thing that. Uh, you know, from a business standpoint, you don't want to do, you don't want to uh, bring price into uh, into a discussion uh, because if you can provide quality work over and above your competitor, then you can break down that barrier. And that becomes, a you know, a totally different, uh, another aspect to this as opposed to, uh, um, well, yeah, it, 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 it just muddies the water because what you're asking uh, to do is forget about the training and forget about the quality difference in work and just get it down to a dollar value. And that uh, that just doesn't fit with, with a training model because that's not what we're after. I understand that, but on the other hand, we have to make sure that if we train and mentor people, and I see a couple of good comments here, um, you know, you can have mentor relationships and indoor air quality, et cetera, but, you know, we, we still can't be so far um, so, so so far away from pricing, you know, that that people just won't use it. You know, that's... I agree. That's been tough, and how do we, you know, how do we narrow that gap a little bit? Is what I'm trying to wonder, and I don't think we're going to solve it today. But anyway, what I'd like to do is take a short break. Uh, we're going to come back, and, and then on the second half, we're going to start with talking a little more about how indoor air quality is taught within yeah. these programs. So we're going to break yeah. for 90 seconds. Thank our sponsors. We'll be right back with Brian Baker and Joe Kokinda. And thanks to our association sponsors. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. The Restoration and Specialty Cleaners Association who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training certification, standards, and events. Their website is trsca.org. Thanks to our advertisers. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Visit them at legends-enviro.com. And Particles Plus. They are engineers and manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters, air quality monitoring instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. Particlesplus.com. Count on us. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. 
John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at their website, jondon.com. That's jondon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, we're back with the second half of our interview. We've got Brian Baker, owner of Custom Vac Limited in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and Joe Kokinda, uh, owner, of, president, and CEO of Professional HVAC and our services of Avon, Ohio. Let's talk a little bit about indoor air quality training in, in the mechanical trades here, Brian. Tell us a little bit about how it's currently being taught in the existing programs offered in Canada. Okay, so basically, it's not. And that's been my biggest uh, uh, mantra here, is trying to um, get the trades to uh, pay more attention. I mean, we're talking just around the fringes in all of the programs that uh, are taught out there in the indentured programs, because that's the only thing that's out there. And so when I started my training center, uh, Joe, I had been you know, uh, brought up on, you know, indoor air quality. And uh, so I saw that uh, this was uh, not being taught. It needed to be taught. And so in my program, I started implementing uh, right away uh, indoor air quality and starting to uh, teach and get them some uh, knowledge, as uh, you know, as the uh, course was being taught. We would talk about air filtration. We get talking right about uh, indoor air quality and uh, and improvements or not improvements. Talking about all the different performance factors uh, and how that relates. Where uh, to, you know how to deal with resolving moisture problems in homes because we talk about ventilation systems. And so, quite frankly. My program uh, was and is the only program uh, that is actually making any attempt uh, right now in the mechanical trades. And so there lies in one of the biggest problems. Uh, how do we help uh, people when we don't even spend one day, one minute, one second teaching our people about any of the issues that they need? Hmm. I'm curious, you know, do they still work in the mechanical trades? You know, you, you talk a lot about relative humidity, and I hear a lot about relative humidity and designing for relative humidity. Is that being pushed to dew point? Has that been the case for many years? Or um, are we uh, starting to see people focus more on dew point instead of relative humidity? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, uh, are you talking to Joe? Either one. Joe, jump in. Go, go ahead, Joe. Well, real quick, Brian, I'll let you chime in. Yeah. And here in the States, it's been dew point, at least in the commercial trades, for quite some time. Uh, with the Internet of Things uh, and what's going on, to answer the, the question that you answered, there's nothing really prevalent unless it's specialized uh, by filter OEMs or certain companies that, that deal uh, in the indoor air quality 
business, okay? They get their training on the job. So, quite frankly, I have gone around on, on heavy residential jobs with friends of mine, and the first thing that someone will do when they're installing the system is go to put the great big old HEPAs and electrostatic precipitators, et cetera, and so forth. And, Brian, you can, you can chime in on this one. You know, now the advent of the new Mitsubishi uh, uh, 60Rs, they're going down to minus 13 ambient. They're popping up everywhere. I just put one in my house. Guess what? Shores of Lake Erie, okay? You think it's humid here? I don't think so. We're running about 18% today relative humidity. So, quite frankly, I had to go out and buy some portable humidifiers because my wood's cracking and my lips are chapped. And so indoor air quality is very, very important. Brian hit on a good good part of it, guys, that, uh, you know, whether, the, the, whether you agree with pressurizing your envelope, as we do in most commercial instances, or having something neutral because of the climate or the conditions of mold spores or, or allergens, uh, you don't want a negative... I think ERUs and ERVs are going to be very, very important into the uh, residential trade. Uh, the first thing that will happen here in the United States, guys, on a no-cool call at a uh, uh, movie, sh- uh, movie house where there's 100 people, that guy will go up there and see the minimum outdoor air at a 10% set. He'll disconnect the linkages, he'll close it, and everybody's cool. And then nobody goes back to address it. So it's, it's, it's really, really bad uh, here in the States. I've been in the trades for 41 years, and it's not being addressed. Hmm. Brian? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it's exactly what we're what we're finding. We uh, one of the things I said before, uh, you know, when we talked, uh, the, you know, the last time, which is a long time ago, Joe, I talked about, you know, the the building as a system, the house as a system, and uh, I, I still stand by that. You know, we are we 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 have almost um, got to the point where uh, nobody can see it anymore in in the trade. Um, at one time, we made a, a marvelous attempt, okay? Uh, and i got to go back to 1988 to get that recollection back. That's how far away it is. Hmm. And we, we, we actually developed, you know, the building uh, as a system, or the house as a system. And, and and that was a wonderful concept. It remains the, the 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 simple concept that we have to do. When we go and start making one change in a building, we will affect two or three other things. Uh, it's no different than whether we're talking a refrigeration system or what we're talking. We have to start uh, addressing these issues. So when we go in and we take a look at a problem that we're having, uh, with regards to whatever it is, we've got too much moisture in the building. We cannot remain focused on one little aspect of what we do. We have got to look at the entire building and assess that building. And uh, so uh, that is a problem because when it's not being taught in the trade, how the heck are these young individuals supposed to uh, go out and, and, and be a professional in any way. So what the trades have done is they're letting these one-day, two-day, weekday courses, whatever it is, um, and, and they leave them and they put them out there and, for individuals to take. And then what they say is, um, well, now, remember when you take this now, this is only one more step, and, you know, and the next thing you know, the guys go into courses over and over and over and over again 
but nothing's being linked up, nothing's being tied together, and uh, that that's a huge problem. So what what I started to do was at least give them some basic indoor air quality training that tied everything together based on nothing more than a small uh, to medium-sized residential light commercial building that they would be able to uh, walk into and and service so that when they were going out looking to do uh, uh, an annual service, that they would start looking for these other things uh, that would help improve the indoor environment for those occupants. Uh, and uh, it's amazing how many individuals had no idea whatsoever uh, because they had been trained to go in there and do nothing more than pull a blower, clean a blower, look at this, look at that, and walk out the door after charging, you know, $200. Let me let me try and tie this together. And Cliff, jump in here if you want. Um, but I've seen a trend here in the United States where, and maybe in Canada as well, the home performance people, the guys that go out and, and try and help with energy efficiency and, and upgrades with uh, insulation and air sealing and blower door testing, they've become very interested in learning more about indoor air quality. And and there, there now is a BPI certification, Building Performance Institute has a certification on, on healthy indoor environments and um, the, the people from the National Center for Healthy Housing and the BPI folks are, are working together on that. It seems to me like that was a natural fit for the mechanical people, and they kind of, I don't know, dropped the ball on it, never, never really got, from what I'm hearing from you two right now, never really got the memo that the, the home is a system or the building is a system and that, that we have to understand the enclosure and the mechanical system, how they work together to really do a good job of helping people with their indoor environment. Do you, do you guys feel the same way that the mechanical guys missed the boat on that? Well, I'm going to go yeah. ahead and speak. I'm going to go ahead and speak real quick about that. You know, you're, you're spot on with your assessment and I think Brian will agree and Cliff probably agrees. I was looking at some of the things in some of the past archives and, and listening to some of the shows, gentlemen. Uh, I just got out of a small market where it's been under negative pressure, a supermarket, okay, for 13 years, since 2003. Uh, that has led to service technicians coming in and attacking over-frosted cases like produce and meat and dairy. And I just went and reprogrammed a controller with one of my engineers that had eight defrost in all the medium temp circuits because the humidity in the store was being attracted to the refrigeration. So that in itself, it just shows you uh, where we're at. The the houses that were built circa 1980 and before, these people that are not mechanical and they go out and they do a blower door test, these these houses were made to breathe. (laughs) Now the tighter construction's coming along. Uh, the IAQ is becoming a little bit more because of ASHRAE and ISO and everyone and your organization, of course, a little bit more uh, in the game. Uh, why the mechanicals haven't picked up on it is because they're overwhelmed with the science of what they're supposed to do to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't believe that uh, IAQ should be separated in any stretch of the imagination from the basics training uh, that our quote-unquote technicians that graduate from tech schools 
uh, have been have been taught, and I think it's a big problem. Hmm. Yeah, and 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 Joe, you 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 are absolutely right. In fact, I spent thousands of dollars going to the conferences uh, regarding these individuals and affordable comfort, and you know all the rest. And uh, I tell you, I I was I was so I was so proud to go because uh, you know I I I believe. And I still believe in everything that, that they're doing, okay? The problem is when you go or when I went uh, to, the, to the programs and I sat through them and I met so many people, there's just so many wonderful people, um, I felt after going there that I had just been whipped because in the sessions, they had absolutely nothing good to say about HVACR contractors. They badmouthed every single, uh, every time there was a problem and they showed all these horror duct systems or these horror installations. And I'm not saying they're not out there, okay? But when you're trying to attract individuals in to make a difference, you cannot invite these individuals to a conference where you charge them. You know, like for me, uh, coming from Canada, it was costing me twenty-five to thirty-five hundred dollars to travel to the conferences, and all they did was badmouth the kind of work that we did. Now, I couldn't bring pictures of all my installations to show how good contractors actually do work. And, and so when you're trying to bring individuals in, you can't uh, treat them like, uh, uh, you know, whipping puppies and uh, badmouth them. And so that's what happened is, uh, it, and, and this is just my opinion right off the cuff, because I, I sent a letter to them and I said, you know what, I've had enough. Like, I finally quit going uh, because of that uh, single issue is, you go, and all you hear is all the negative stuff instead of how do we solve the problem? How do we bring the HVACR contractors in? How do we get better programs uh, to uh, uh, help train them and show them that what is being done is wrong or why they need to be doing uh, the jobs this way as opposed to that way. And so I decided, again, these are all the things that motivated me to open up my own training center and spend money, the kind of money that, you know, I did. Uh, and trust me, you don't get rich teaching, okay? <laughs> uh, what you get is you get fantastic satisfaction. I can I can That's attest to get. that, Brian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let absolutely. Me, let me move this in a little different direction you you mentioned um the building as a system and human physiology and i want you to if you would talk to listeners a little bit about and maybe if you could give them a couple good tips on on how human physiology and indoor air quality and hvacnr are kind of interrelated and maybe how you have solved the problem using your knowledge of human physiology that, you know, uh, maybe wasn't a real difficult thing to solve, but um, you were able to solve and make people comfortable and, and, and happy in their environment. 
Yeah, well, uh, you know, again, it, it, you know, it comes from educating yourself, right? You use other educators. You know, Robert Bean, okay, um, who, uh, who has a wonderful uh, website, you know, Healthy Eating, um, he, he actually has a program on there that you, know, you can go to his uh, uh, website, and uh, it talks about human physiology and how our brain actually reacts to hot and cold and moisture and all the rest of it. And, you know, if, if, if our jobs are to provide comfort, because that's what we provide in our homes, we're not providing heating and cooling or air conditioning and, you know, heating. We are actually providing a comfortable home. And so whether that be uh, too much air or the airspeed being too fast in the air, or whether it being too hot or too cold or too humid or too dry, that's what it is we do. And we, we have to then understand how our body responds to those changes. Because if we don't understand how our bodies respond to that, okay, uh, we lose track of that. Now, how far does that go back for me when the light bulb went on? It goes back, honestly, to the to get back into the 80s again, because I remember going to a, a seminar being taught from a, an individual who talked about animals and how animals actually hibernate, how their systems slow down, how they keep comfortable, you know, all of this stuff. And, and he related that entire article to humans and how when we're sitting in a chair against a wall, that is a cold wall or cold windows, how mean radiant temperature, again, affects our body because our body is giving heat up at a different rate. But if we were to do what they did in the, in, in the old days, back in castle days, they would hang these large tapestries on the wall. Well, why did they hang these tapestries? Was it artwork? Hell no, it was insulation. Hmm. Because... Those tapestries now created a barrier between that cold brick, right, and the nice warm tapestry that would get radiant heat from the fireplace that would be across the other side of the room. So now your body, instead of seeing that ice-cold chunk of stone, would now see that warm tapestry and then would make you warmer. And then... The chairs were different. The chairs were wing-back chairs, so that when you sat in front of the fireplace, the air that would rush behind you coming to the fireplace would be directed around you because of the wings, and your back would stay warm because you were sitting in the chair, and the air rushing to the fireplace because we know that the fireplaces are going to use a ton of air, and all of this all of this, uh, to me, uh, I talk about in my classes because if you don't have an understanding as to how air moves or how air used to move to today, why we put registers in the locations we do, why we locate uh, appliances in the places that we do today, how does that all relate to indoor air quality? Uh, it, it, that's the whole purpose. But Human physiology is one more part of how do we get better air in that building. And wow. so those are a couple examples of what, what I do early on in my class. 
And we try and continue uh, with that theme because now, as Joe was pointing out, we've got these uh, now uh, ductless units. Well, everybody thinks ductless units are, are new, Joe. We've been doing ductless for 25 years. It's not new. It's new to people who now have stumbled on something that is popular uh, in the in in the um, um, in the marketplace because someone is showing them now that it now can solve a problem, and more importantly, they can make money. They can now make money selling these things because uh, someone is now showing them uh, the value. Uh, and the intrinsic uh, change now to getting better comfort uh, at lower energy costs uh, at the same time. And, yeah, Brian, and Brian, you know, that's the, things, the difference. Hey, Brian, one of the things that they're still doing in Canada and the States, gentlemen, real quick, is they're continuing to stick equipment in attics and closets or oh, yeah. uh, up on a roof that's 40 feet away. And the biggest problem that we're going to have going forward in our industry, guys, and ladies, if there's anyone listening, is is serviceability. Uh, I, for one, on on larger residential complexes and houses, would love to see a small little mechanical room like a shed, okay, and have package units with uninhibited and choked down uh, flex duct going through joists, so, so that uh, you can actually work on the system, make sure that it's viable versus what we have today, and the construction methods haven't changed. So IAQ is part of me having serviceability. If if the technician's got to crawl through an attic, uh, he's not. He's going to do the bare minimum. He's going to slide out that uh, uh, one-inch paper filter and stick another one in there and get out of that attic. So Good that's point. one of the problems that we fa- that we're faced with, guys. Great points. <laughs> hey, that's true. Let me. Yeah, get I, a I little, just wanted to jump ahead, in Cliff. for a second. Yeah, yeah, I would like, I guess, both Brian and, and Joe to to comment on a statement. Uh, that, that I'm going to make. From my vantage point, it seems to me that in many ways the HVAC contractors um, are motivated by selling new systems. They're always on the hunt for the, the new installation, the new job. And I think in many situations, I don't think they service what they've sold previously. And, you know, I think they're focused just on the economics of selling new stuff rather than, you know, servicing the old. And it would seem to me that if you took care of the old, and I know we talked about this in our, in our prior show with Brian, he was really, really big on service, but it seems that the majority of HVAC contractors are not. Yeah, yeah. I can I can step in real quick, Brian, and let you take it. You uh, I'm, in a, I'm in 100% agreement with the, uh, again, serviceability or lack thereof of systems that are designed and installed by many large contractors nationwide here in the states and they're focused on the economics there's no doubt about it uh they want new customers and they want someone else to do the dirty work now i think that depending upon the degree days like up here in ohio uh up on lake erie we very seldom need air conditioning now, i would say that you could probably go 60 to 90 days total runtime uh and that's and that's a large amount of air conditioning for for right here on lake erie uh, but when you go down to Cincinnati, you're probably talking closer to three or four or five months. So the biggest problem is the more it's used, the more mold that builds up. The more mold that builds up, the less that gets cleaned. And that's our biggest problem. The serviceability of the units, especially in a residential game, is a neglected part of IAQ. 
And uh, quite frankly, these little chlorine tabs don't work, guys. So I think serviceability is where we got to go to. Let me let me yeah, get and and, go ahead, and, and Cliff, you're, Cliff, Cliff, you're absolutely right. You know, I'm ne- I'm I'm never going to disagree with that. Uh, I'm 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 embarrassed, really, uh, because you know we don't run our firm like that. We never have. I don't teach that. I never ever. Uh, uh, you know, teach anything, but, you know, we've got to do the proper maintenance. It's got to be done. And there is gold. I'm telling you, I have a database that we mine, and I, I make sure that my students understand that, uh, you know, your, your database is your gold mine. And those individuals in that database, they want service. They want to be treated as human beings. They want their systems clean. They want their people uh, and, and their families healthy in those buildings. Damn it, they deserve that. And if we don't provide that, then if somebody else comes along and steals our industry and steals our work, uh, I, I'm going to be very disappointed. Uh, but, uh, you know, we have to do a better job. And the only way we can do that is to get that training the way we need it and then we have to educate the individuals that, uh, you know, what they're doing is not right and show them the way to make money because there is so much money to be made off of those existing databases. If we would just clean what the hell we put in, we would never have to go looking for work. Hmm. Hey, and that's me- a fact. We started a little late, so we're going to go over a little bit. I just want to alert listeners. We're going to stay over for an extra five, maybe even ten minutes, because I've got one more, unless you guys have to run, but I think we're okay there. Okay. Brian, you brought two excellent examples up on human physiology, indoor air quality, comfort. The the tapestries on the wall, the wing chairs, That those are beautiful. And then, Joe, you brought up the ductless mini splits. I want you guys, if you would, to give listeners that are indoor air quality people a, a few tips before we go on, you know, I mean, the the examples you brought up, Brian, were great, but they're, you know, they're kind of um, uh, older examples. If you could get us something yeah. a little newer, and then Joe and or Brian, if you could give our listeners a little tip on the proper maintenance and how to avoid indoor air quality issues with the new craze, which is the mini splits. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, no, you go ahead. You do the, you go, go ahead with the mini splits because you've been doing uh, quite a bit of that now and uh, yeah. I've already done it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brian, <laughs> what I'm seeing in the, uh, uh, the new stuff to, to, to hit on what Cliff and, and, and Joe are asking about you know, they've come out with the new cleaner now and the new, uh, uh, you know, for the evaporators, there's all kinds of stuff out there where you see pictures on HVAC hacks and all the bad stuff. You know, to be a thermodynamic energy specialist, and that's uh, a movement that we've, we've started with our website, uh, you need to understand that service is part of the game. And just like Brian said, if you put many splits in, and you haven't addressed the indoor air quality by, by selling them an ERU or a desiccant wheel uh, to bring in the, the requisite outside air in a residential or commercial application, you've done a great disservice to the customer, simple as that, uh, especially with the newer construction modes being tighter and tighter. 
so quite frankly, you know, people buy mini splits. You're supposed to pull those little inline filters out every couple couple weeks, depending upon how much they run and wash them. <laughs> and it's not happening. Okay, it's just not happening. And so, uh, as far as the mini splits are going, it's going by the way of the package unit and the split in the attic or the closet. It's just it's just another way to make money in the beginning. Uh, selling comfort and selling uh, efficiency and selling everything they're going to sell, uh, but the customer's left to his own uh, regards as far as maintenance. And and uh, I think that uh, thermodynamic energy specialist or technician, or you can coin so many words uh, with the thermodynamic energy tag, uh, would do wonders, I think, to get out to the 10-, 12-year-olds and say, you know, uh, they don't want to be negative, they don't want to see their company on a sting okay on 60 minutes where somebody's ripping off some poor old lady uh you understand what i'm saying that was prevalent here for the last three years oh, yeah. uh, brian yeah i well okay so I, I i think there's so much that can be done as far as you know trying to uh, uh I- I- implement the maintenance aspect into uh indoor air quality stuff and what we've done We've had so many issues, uh, like HRVs and ERVs here in my marketplace, they live here. Um, so, I mean, every single home has to have a mechanical ventilation system. Uh, so uh, a lot of the issues that come up, we've addressed. And, and, I'm, and, and so I'm not saying that, you know, we're not addressing uh, the installation and, and service of, uh, of equipment uh, in our marketplace or in the trades, the problem is it's actually not being taught. Uh, so one of the uh, problems is uh, we have individuals who are trained to install or supposed to be trained to install uh, HRVs and ERVs, but in actual fact are receiving no training, uh, but yet these things are being installed by them in the field. Uh, so what happens is when problems come up, they don't know how to address them. And the biggest problem that we have then, of course, is always the installation. You go back to uh, the installation manual. Why are these uh, hoods uh, being located in the manner that they are? Why are they low to the ground where, again, we have high radon levels? Uh, and, and, and in certain areas, all right, and especially Winnipeg, uh, we have a lot of radon uh, in the ground. Yet, uh, you know, it, it just behooves me as to how individuals can have hoods located uh, that are, you know, five inches off the ground. Hmm. Why are these hoods not being uh, relocated and piped, you know, 18 to 24 inches or even 36 inches up off of the grade instead of down at the soil. I mean, hell, we get snow here. I mean, you know, like it's not <laughs> unusual to have 36 inches of snow. Well, what's our anticipated snow level here? It's actually 19 inches. And, and these are things, again, that I would say that, um, you know, what, what do you do to solve these problems? Well, you, you, you really got to go back just to the basics. Like, now, Yes, we do get problems where we have people now where we have to go into the indoor uh, investigation uh, stuff. And, I mean, you know, we can talk for, you know, hours about all of those things that come up. But 
the biggest problems that we see are just basic stuff that needs to be done, uh, and and the hoods are one. Um, the control systems also uh, are becoming complicated, in my opinion. We need simple control systems. Individuals want intuitive controls. They want to be able to uh, have controls that do what they want, and that is when they want a minimum ventilation mode, they want to be able to go up and press a button and hit it, and they don't want to have a timer. Who wants a timer? Uh, I, I, I never understood this, and I still don't. Who wants a timer on a mechanical ventilation system? Yeah. It just, that, like, I, I don't understand it. If, 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 if I need ventilation for my building envelope, I don't care whether people are there or not. I need ventilation to ventilate that building, and I want to ventilate it on a constant basis. That's especially in my climate. I never shut my ventilation system off. I get a third of an air change per hour, and uh, the air in my house is absolutely fantastic. I'm able to maintain my pollutants uh, with my pleated um, uh, air filter that I have, and uh, you know my my particle counts and all of the rest of these things. That's what people want today. They want you to be able to show them and prove to them what you can do to give them that kind of air. And um, so to me, it's more going through and installing this equipment properly the way the manufacturer wanted it installed uh, because we really don't have um, a lot of... Uh, really firm set points that we have to do. We've got to calculate out how many CFM we need to be able to ventilate those buildings. But, but you know, we're, we're not, like, we don't have a, 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 a real strict code other than making damn sure that the thing is installed to the manufacturer's specifications and then uh, making sure that we're actually delivering that that CFM. So to me, it's all about the installation and the parameters, making sure that that's done. Uh, but as far as solving the problems uh, and all the rest, you've you, you got to go back and, and follow everything that you guys are teaching in, in your courses and that the Indoor Air Quality Institute is teaching because, uh, they, you know, you just can't keep up with all of uh, those issues that get raised within the building envelope. Um, but as far as, you know, the, uh, the, the installation, it's the number one problem. They don't well, install them properly in the first place, it, and then we get into problems. It sounds to me like the, the takeaway, for me at least, as someone who goes out and looks at these systems is that I've got to make darn sure I download the manufacturer's recommendations for that system and the first thing I need to do is verify that the installer put that system in the way it was recommended by the manufacturer. Absolutely. And, and here in Canada, we have HRAI who, who, who certifies the installers, and we have a certification, decertification. Uh, now, hang on. We have a certification, um, decertification, uh, and, and a remediation 
Um, it's not called that, though. What's it called now? There's another word. Anyway, what happens is uh, if, if you have a system put in and it's designed by a certified designer and that design proves to not be right, then the designer has to make that system right and the contractor goes back in and makes the changes. If that designer designs that system, that installer installs it, and that installer does not install that system properly and does not go back to fix it, they will decertify and take away his certification. If he goes back and fixes it, no problem. The remediation is done. Everybody's happy. The system is back up and running the way it was designed. And, Joe, if I understand correctly, we do not have that here in, in the United States. The again, the state's rights uh, and the permitting and the building and zonings and and everybody having a different opinion uh, here in the United States. You got different fifty different states. Very seldom will you have the same requirements. So, being that Canada is more federalized and standardized, and 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 items that are being neglected uh, and and possibly overregulated, but I I'm of the ilk that regulation is a good thing. Uh, if you ask people, and just because people know it's right to do it right, like Brian does, doesn't mean it gets done that way. Uh, they're going to look to maximize their dollar here in the States. Everybody's going to have their special interests, and, and that's the biggest problem and the biggest difference that I can see between uh, Brian's system of certifications and inspections and all the things that happen versus what goes on here in the States. And here's the biggest uh, change that just uh, is uh, the, the, the other shoe that's dropping here is uh, regarding the, uh, the Red Seal trades now, uh, if you are working on a job site as an apprentice with no journeyman present uh, or you are um, um, a, uh, uh, a journeyman uh, who has uh, not yet completed your final year and you're working alone on a job, okay, you're not considered a journeyman, but uh, until you complete that last year on the job, uh, you will be fined $1,000 if you're not with uh, the person you're supposed to be with. That's first offense. Second offense is 2000 and it goes up 1000 every time, and uh, they will shut the job site down until a journeyman shows up onto the site. And uh, that's because the apprenticeship system is tired of using public money, of course, to fund the training uh, of individuals, uh, and these contractors do not want to comply and play by the rules. So finally, uh, for companies like ours who have played by the rules for decades, we now have something now to back us because these guys now are going to be shut down and fined. And uh, we love it. Uh, the only thing that uh, that I'm going to tell you about that is there needs to be a carrot. Uh, it's okay to have a beating stick on one end, but I would like to see a carrot on the other, that when they walk out on a job site and they walk into one of my people, that they say, hey, Joe, I'm really glad you're in compliance here today. I'm putting your name in for the uh, color TV at the end of the month we draw for and uh, give these guys something when they walk in on job sites and check people that uh, they give us a chance to be rewarded for what we do and penalize the other guys. 
Well, great stuff, gentlemen. Before we go, we always like to give our guest the last uh, last question. Cliff, unless you had anything else? I do not. All right. Before we go, gents, Brian, let's start. Well, let's start with Joe. Anything we missed that you'd like to add? Any final thoughts? And then we'll go to Brian. Yeah, because your your program and, and what I've listened to, and I, I'm happy to be here with Brian today. I, I've met Brian uh, years ago on LinkedIn uh, when I started probably four and a half, five years ago, trying to figure out uh, why our education system isn't giving us the needed manpower. And Brian and I had some very, very, uh, uh, let's call it uh, uh, gamey, okay, discussions back and forth. And, and I learned from Brian, and I'm sure he learned from me. That's what our trades need. They, it needs more collaboration with the people with passion. Uh, my question to everyone to go away with today is, is uh, what is passion? Uh, is passion within the person, or is it created? And that's that's the question I'm going to leave everyone. Well, thank you, Joe, and thanks for joining us. Brian? <laughs> yeah, well, I just, uh, you know, appreciate the time, and, uh, you know, I think you guys uh, you guys have been doing, a, you know, a great job here, and I just wanted to uh, make sure that, you know, we uh, – we find a way here, uh, and and I wanted to. Ho- hopefully, this has been controversial, okay? Because I really want the indoor air quality, uh, you know, side of the of the industry to realize that you know the mechanical side is it, it is really hungry and needs uh, you know to get something in play to to uh, uh, you know definitely bond. Uh, the indoor air quality industry and uh, to to the mechanicals industry without any um, you know friction, we really do need to come up with something and uh, and i 'm hoping that we can do it collaboratively and and make sure uh, that it is done because uh, if if we don 't do something before too long what 's going to happen is we 're going to have even more fractionation than we have, and the problem with the niche trades is we are already fractionated so far, we can't afford to fractionate anymore. And so I, I, I leave that challenge with, you know, people who, who, who hopefully can, can meet at a, at a higher level to try and get these bodies to realize that we have to uh, come up with some solution to what we have, because uh, what we're doing is not working, and uh, we really have to come up with something before too much longer, or uh, or it's going to get even worse, and that's not good for anybody, because we need skilled workers. We're desperate. And you know, the, really I, are. I see one... One silver lining, and that is uh, one of our sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, has recently, um, I don't even know what they call it anymore, but uh, they're now part of ASHRAE, the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning Engineers. So ASHRAE uh, is at least, at least some of the past presidents of ASHRAE are rec- you know, recognized that ASHRAE needs to be more involved with indoor air quality. Indoor air quality people need to be more involved with ASHRAE, and hopefully... That's a start. Uh, but, uh, yes. gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Uh, great to have both of you, and I look forward to talking to you again. And, uh, uh, you know, keep up, keep the faith. We'll, we'll keep trying to uh, pull this together, and uh, 
We'll talk to you again soon. You bet. All right. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks so much to this week's guest, uh, Brian Baker, Custom Vac in Winnipeg up there in uh, in Canada, and to Joe Kakinda from the uh, Professional HVACR Services, Inc. of Avon, Ohio. Of course, to our co- my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Nice, nice. You're going to have an interesting blog this week, Cliff. Yes, I will. And uh, our engineer, John, you got to have faith. Most importantly, nice group of uh, online listeners today and uh, our growing group of loyal listeners. We'll be taking a little break for the holidays. We'll be back um, the first full Friday in January. Until then, uh, we'll be back. Uh, Join us again next live episode for Indoor Air Quality IAQ Radio in January 2017. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's to all the listeners. This has been another IAQ Radio production.